Welcome to the V2V Podcast. My name is Marcus Parrish. I am a nonviolent communication trainer, and this is part of the NVC training series, which I promised to create when we received 1,000 likes on the nonviolent communication training Facebook page, which we did. Congratulations to everybody. So this first part of the series is a little history what NVC is and where it came from. So nonviolent communication, NVC, sometimes referred to as compassionate communication, is an approach to communicating designed to help people connect more compassionately with themselves and others. Nonviolent communication can transform interactions as it enables people to become more aware of their feelings, needs, and desires, as well as those of others in a given situation. This form of communication can promote greater self-awareness and personal growth, to foster deeper interpersonal relationships, and to effectively settle conflicts and disputes at all levels of society. Those attempting to strengthen nonverbal communication skills may find the support of a mental health professional to be helpful, to be sure. Now, this developed in the 1960s by Marshall Rosenberg, and it's based on several core assumptions. First, Rosenberg proposed that humans are innately compassionate. The NVC model emerged from his ongoing attempt to understand the factors that influence this innate compassionate nature and his realization that language is one of the most crucial. According to Rosenberg, it is our nature to behave compassionately, but many of us have learned how to speak and act in ways that are harmful to others. We learn to judge, withdraw, defend, and attack, all of which alienates us from others and from our natural state of compassion. NVC was designed to help us overcome these negative tendencies so that we can connect with others on a deeper personal level. NVC was designed to help us overcome these negative tendencies so that we can connect with others on a deeper personal level. Rosenberg also believed that all humans share certain universal needs. When these needs are satisfied, we experience pleasant emotions such as happiness and contentment. When they are not, we develop negative feelings such as anger and disappointment. Our feelings therefore indicate whether our needs are being met. That's very important. Rosenberg's model of nonviolent communication was influenced by the principles of humanistic psychology as well as the Gandhian principle of nonviolence. The core components of NVC are outlined by Rosenberg in his well known book, Nonviolent Communication A Language of Life. Now, what are the goals of nonviolent communication? The focus of nonviolent communication is to help people rethink and restructure the way in which they express themselves and listen to others. As humans, we learn to respond to certain situations.
as humans, we learn to respond to certain situations in an automatic manner. When asked, how are you? For example, the automatic response might be, I'm fine, although this might be far from the truth. Uh, Such habitual responses are functional in that they help conserve time and cognitive resources and allow us to react quickly in emergency situations. Nevertheless, they prevent us from being truly authentic. The end goal of NVC is to develop a mutually satisfying exchange, one in which the needs of all parties involved are met through compassionate giving. Uh, The principles of NVC serve a dual purpose. They allow people to become more aware of what they are perceiving, feeling, and wanting in a given moment, while also helping them become more attuned and empathetic to the needs, emotions, and circumstances of others. As a result, people are able to replace their habitual reactions with more conscious and honest responses and interact with others in a more respectful and empathetic manner. So what's the process of nonviolent communication? The process of NVC involves four key components. One, observations. Two, feelings. Three, needs. And four, requests. So first, individuals observe what is happening in a given situation without any form of judgment. Next, they express how these observations make them feel and what needs, values, or desires are related to these feelings. And don't worry, we'll get more into the nuts and bolts of what I'm talking about uh, in further episodes. But finally, they make clear specific requests based on what they need to enrich their lives instead of demanding these from others. For example, a wife whose husband shouted at her at a social function might express these four components by saying, when you shout at me in public, observation, I feel humiliated, feeling, because I value respect, especially in the presence of others, need. When we have a disagreement in public, Would you be willing to wait until we can discuss the matter in private? That's the request. Since communication is a two-way street, the process would not be complete unless both people are willing to accept the same four pieces of information from each other. That is, they must discern what others are observing, feeling, and needing without evaluating, and they must be open to receiving the requests. The four components of nonviolent communication need not be expressed in the same order each time. The process allows for some creativity so that the verbal exchange does not become mechanical and formulaic. Now, the four components of NVC need not be expressed in the same order each time. This process allows for some creativity so that the verbal exchange doesn't become mechanical and formulaic. So what are some nonviolent communication techniques and exercises? Well, there's no one set of tools available for teaching nonviolent communication. However, some techniques and exercises are common. For example, in the initial stage of training, a list of judgments, 
needs and feelings may be given to participants so they can learn to distinguish between them and respond more accurately. I will post a list of judgment needs and feelings in the show notes so that you can use them for reference. Now, participants may be asked to read, relate, or role play a conflict situation after which they practice identifying the unmet needs of all persons involved. Their language reframing exercises can be employed to foster more honest expression of feelings and needs. Among other things, participants may be taught to watch for sweeping judgments such as you always or you never and replace these with more specific concrete observations. Um, We are taught to own our feelings. For example, I feel instead of blaming others for them, you make me feel. And focus less on what we are, labels and diagnoses such as nerd and abnormal and weird, and more on how we actually are. We want to avoid language that is suppressive in the matter of choice, such as must, should, and things like have to. So I'll conclude this first presentation of NVC by saying that while the principles of nonviolent communication are simple in theory, it has often been criticized for the significant investment of time and effort required to sit and learn and utilize the four key components. This concern is in light of the fact that it might take several rounds of nonviolent communication for a conflict or dispute to re- be resolved. Now, nonviolent communication also requires that we clearly and honestly express our feelings. However, as humans, we do not always have a clear understanding of our complex emotions. Furthermore, a given observation may trigger multiple conflicting emotions, making it difficult to express what we are feeling and needing in that moment. And finally, the success of NVC is also dependent on an individual's ability to display empathy. However, this capacity may be reduced in some individuals such as those experiencing narcissistic tendencies or other mental health issues that affect empathy. That being said, I've been doing this for 16 years. I find it extremely beneficial in my own life and in the lives of others that I share this with and teach how to communicate in this fashion. It's very rewarding and life-affirming, and I would suggest that you uh, give the video a like, hit that subscribe button, and we will continue on with the nonviolent communication training videos. The next one will get more in-depth into the specific uh, techniques and go through each point more methodically. This has just been kind of an introduction to get you more familiar with what it is that we're actually talking about. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Marcus Parrish. Have a great day.
Welcome to part three in the nonviolent communication training series. My name is Marcus Parrish, and this is the V2V podcast. Today, we're looking at the four steps of nonviolent communication, uh, the four steps of action. So let's get right into it. Step one, we observe the situation objectively without judgment. So the process starts by looking at what is actually going on in any given situation, but not judging anybody or anything involved in that situation. The idea is to observe without evaluation. And it's not always easy. For example, uh, let's say that your child is refusing to clean his room. So rather than reacting, the first step is to stop and pause and take a look without evaluation. So you don't want to say, look at this place. It's a mess. It's a judgment. Clean up your room. Right? So a more NVC way to approach it would be to take a look and say, I see toys on the floor and they're scattered around the room. You see the difference. You're not making an evaluation, but simply an observation of the fact that there are indeed toys on the floor that are scattered around the room. You're not saying this is horrible, you're not saying oh my god what a mess which introduces some element of shame or guilt just make an objective statement judgments include statements like oh my god what a mess or calling someone mean or stupid or lazy, racist, selfish, wrong. These kinds of words are about making another person bad in some way. Put-downs, labels, comparisons. There are other more subtle ways of placing judgment that include the words always, never, frequently. They're often used loosely or to exaggerate a particular situation. For example, my kid's room is always messy. It 
confuses the observation that there are toys on the floor scattered around the room with the evaluation that my kid's room is always messy. So we're looking for a pure observation that's without comparison to anything, let's say, in the past. You're not looking at the toys on the floor, comparing them to last week when there were also toys on the floor, therefore defining your child as always having a messy room. Now, if you want to refer to the past, you could say something like, last week, there were also toys on the floor scattered around the room. Or you could say, several other times I seen this but making broad generalizations like always is vague and often adds the element of judgment to what would be a normal objective observation so learning to just look and observe without judgment can be tricky. It's one of the hardest steps in this process. Because most people are used to moving from seeing something, observing it, to immediately evaluating and comparing and then judging uh, immediately, very quickly. So, Learning to just observe a situation can mean pausing and looking at the entirety of what's going on more carefully. You don't want to be in a hurry in order to accomplish this step. For example, if someone shoots someone on the street and you see it, you observe the entire process, not simply the shooting. Uh, Who was speaking? What was said? Were there other things happening did was there a fight what happened afterwards and and so on once you have making a non judgmental observation only at that point are you ready for the second step in this four-step process. And next time, we'll be talking about how to identify the feeling in step two.
Hi, welcome back to the Nonviolent Communication Training Series. My name is Marcus Parrish. I'm a nonviolent communication trainer. And today we are going to look at the idea of feelings and needs. Now, I'll recap a little bit um, from what we were talking about in the last video regarding observations. But to start off, let's get back to kind of what NVC is and the idea that how we communicate matters. So we often communicate with what I would call judgments and evaluations, criticisms, demands, and labels of right or wrong. Speaking and thinking in these ways can often lead to inner turmoil, which often evolves into sadness, anger, or in some cases even physical violence. The practice of nonviolent communication in our daily lives can help eliminate these negative emotions and resolve conflict, resulting in harmonious relationships and peaceful environments that support life. So going back to the idea of observation. So the first step is observing the situation objectively. In any given situation, you want to look at the thing that's happening without evaluation, without blame, without judgment of yourself or anyone else. So we're using our senses, you know, sight, hearing, touch, taste, smell, to simply observe. The example I used in the observation video was a parent coming into a room seeing toys spread all out all over the floor and the parent simply states there are toys on your floor scattered around the room not making any moralistic judgments about how the room's a mess or that the child is wrong Simply that there are toys on the floor scattered around the room. So you avoid adding evaluations to what you see. Now, some people may not agree on evaluations, but objective facts can give us a mutual point of agreement to talk about. You literally can't argue that there are indeed toys on the floor scattered around the room because it's an observable fact that is really happening. So step two is stating how this observation is making you feel. The feeling is different than thinking. Instead of applying judgment or criticism or blaming yourself, your child, anybody else, you identify and express how your observation 
for instance, of toys being on the floor scattered around the room is making you feel. The goal here is not to shame anyone else, but to help identify what you or the other person may be feeling at any given moment. So going back again to the child with the uh, toys on the floor. So you can state what you observe and how you feel by saying, I noticed that there are toys on your floor scattered around the room again. I'm afraid this might affect your safety, for instance. Alternatively, you can say, I see toys on the floor. How are things going? You can, you can guess the feelings. You can say, you can literally guess the feeling and be wrong. And what happens is the other person will very often, if you guess wrong, if you say, hey, I see toys all over the floor. Are you feeling sad? The child may say, no, I'm feeling bored, perhaps. It works much better than the idea of making a more general statement like, how are you? Um, Because the other person may not be able to, they may not have the skills to figure out how they're really feeling. If you pinpoint it, it's much more easy for the other person to to gather their feelings and evaluate them in a more clear way so that they can recount to you how it is that they're actually feeling. It's, it's quite valuable. So feel free to guess. The next thing we want to do is is connect with a need. You want to connect the observation and feeling with a need that isn't being met. So what's happening and how we're feeling are a result of needs that aren't being met, such as food, trust, love, understanding. The reason why people people feel unpleasant or unhappy is because They have needs that are not being satisfied. And sometimes they may not even be aware of the need because they can't identify the feeling that connects with that need. So we're here to to help them. When connecting your observation and feeling with a need, you can state your need of your own or try to guess what the other person needs. So again, in the case of the child with the toys on the floor, you can say, I've noticed that you've had toys on your floor since last week. Or again, that's the observation. I feel worried. That's the feeling. Because I want you to be safe in your room. The safety is is the need. 
observation, see the toys, you're feeling worried because you need you need your child to be safe and not trip or step on the toy or perhaps other people coming into the room and um, becoming injured by in fact stepping on the toys all over the floor an example in a personal relationship might be I heard you raise your voice at me earlier that's the observation you you're saying this without evaluation simply the fact that you noticed that the other person's voice got louder I feel upset were you angry because I wasn't able to meet you yesterday the need for companionship perhaps so you're, you're making these guesses and as I said before the other person will be able to understand this empathic language because it's being said without judgment or blame that's really the um, the magic of NVC so uh, you can go ahead and and think along these lines and as we continue with the series we'll get more in depth and provide more examples for you to more clearly understand the principles of nonviolent communication thank you very much for listening I'm really happy to be making the series and please don't forget to give us a like if you enjoyed this content and thank you for also for uh, being willing to subscribe to the channel have a good night Hi, welcome to the V2V podcast nonviolent communication training series. This talk is about the concept of anger. What is anger? Now, we can get into trouble thinking of anger as a problem. Here's what I mean Thinking about anger as a problem is like a man who keeps getting drunk and crashing his car. He sobers up and finds that once again his car is wrecked. He gets really pissed off and keeps buying new cars because he doesn't like dealing with the consequences of his drunk driving. To me, in many respects, anger is the alcohol. Why be worried and concerned about the booze? It can't make him drunk and crash his car until he drinks it and can no longer drive safely. So to me, anger is not the problem. The booze is not the problem. To me, the problem is the thinking that creates the anger. The thinking that says, I can drink and drive even though I know that I keep crashing my car. The solution isn't reasonably to get a new car every time I crash it. Anger is a certain quality of thinking that supports what NVC calls 
domination systems. And by systems, I mean governments, organizations, institutions that regulate human affairs. Domination systems being ones in which a few people control many to their own advantage. In domination systems, you have to train people to think in ways that support the system so that they fit the system. You know, there are a few things that domination systems require in order to function. One, suppression of self. Two, moralistic judgments. Three, a bureaucratic language that denies choice with words like should, have to, and ought. And four, the idea that one deserves something. And anger is the result. It's the flashing red light that tells us we are thinking in a way that supports domination systems. You are thinking in a way that contributes to the oppressive world order. And in fact, you are a part of it. So we don't need to get rid of anger. I don't want to be like the man who keeps buying a new car because I keep drunkenly crashing my car. I want to get to the point where I'm not thinking in ways that take part in the domination systems in the world. It may seem somewhat obvious, but systems train people to think in ways that support the system. How we are trained to communicate within these systems affects our human development. We've all been trained to be either sheeple or bullies. When you're in a position of authority, you are taught that you are justified in being a bully. We tend not to call other people, and especially ourselves, bullies. We call ourselves bosses or authorities. Within these domination systems, those in charge are given power, legal or social or both, in order to force through the system of what you deserve or do not deserve. We tend to look towards punishment, rewards, blame, and manipulation to get others to do things. Punishment. Make people suffer. It's to get people to change. First, you have to get people to see how awful they are. And one of the first things a child is taught is to say sorry. The parent says, say you're sorry. The child says, I am sorry. The parent says, no, you're not really sorry. I can see from your face you're not really sorry. The child begins to cry, I'm sorry. The parent, I forgive you. You have to make people feel bad about themselves in order to get them to repent. There's a reason that jails and prisons are called penitentiaries. We have this language that confirms how evil or bad someone is with words like good, bad, right, wrong, abnormal, retarded. The words that make others wrong. And they make you wrong too. So we get back to this idea of anger, that anger is not the issue. 
The issue for me is the thinking that produces the anger. The alcohol that gets you drunk can't crash the car. Something in this problem must be made enjoyable. If violence isn't enjoyable, the domination systems won't work. When the violence is enjoyable in any form, anger, the human feeling that results from this, to liberate ourselves from our anger means to liberate ourselves from domination systems. It's a fairly radical idea. It's a transformation in and of our thinking. We have universal human needs. They're all the same. Food, shelter, clothing, love, play, sexual drive, etc. We also have a great alarm system that alerts us when our needs are not being met. It's a motivational system called feelings. Feelings tell us when we are or are not getting our needs met. For example, if my need for food is not being met, but I don't have any feelings of hunger, then I starve. It's clear that feelings are very important. They alert us to get our needs met. When our needs are met, then we have pleasureful feelings to celebrate. It's a comprehensive and natural system. We are in a life-serving system. We want to serve life. We want to train people to think in this way, to think in terms of feelings, in terms of needs, and need-fulfilling actions. If I'm hungry, and I feel hungry, I eat to satisfy that need, and then the feeling is one of satisfaction. This is basically what nonviolent communication is all about. If you want to serve life, you want to create life-serving systems. We need to really be conscious moment by moment. We need to be as smart as dogs. Now, maybe it's okay to have opinions about the world, the situation, the politics, but if you're starving to death, you need to get some food. So let's really focus our consciousness on our human needs, feelings, and these need-fulfilling actions. Anger tells us that we have a need that isn't getting met. Anger and his cousins, depression, guilt, and shame, are all a part of that domination system. Anger tells us that we are thinking the bad guy is somebody else. With depression, guilt, and shame, we're the bad guy. These are the feelings that result from a thinking of domination systems. Anger. Anger.